Good morning, everyone. I know it's not morning, but I've learned long ago never begin by saying good afternoon because you lost them already. <laughs> so, it's good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be here at ASI, isn't it? That was tepid. That was kind of tepid. It's a blessing to be here at ASI, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. It is. And I trust you have been inspired and motivated and encouraged and moved and blessed even beyond that which you were expecting. God is good. What do you say? Yeah. God is good. We are privileged to be here. I just want to point out something. Uh, somebody contacted me and was concerned that uh, I was embracing polygamy. The biography in the little bio in the program said that John is married to Melissa and the father of two children. You know, I hardly know what to say. I'm just grateful that God's people are open-minded. I'm also a little one. I'm also a little bothered that that evidently many other people read that and simply thought, "Okay." So I'm a little worried about you today. Anyway, we are here to pray and open up God's Word. Let's do that in that order. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Our Father and our God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We are grateful. We are blessed far beyond our deservingness. And we are thankful today that you have carved out a little time for us to gather here together and look towards your face and look into your word. And we pray that we would encounter your spirit and be moved. Lord, we gather together, warts and all, as your people. Thank you for visiting us and tabernacling with us this day. I ask that the limitations of fallen humanity would not prevent your spirit from doing a great work over these next few minutes. Speak and be heard. We pray in Jesus' name. Please say with me, amen. They had come many years before from Eastern Polynesia. Peace had become the cornerstone of their culture. In the 16th century, a tribal leader named Nunuku heard the sound of young men fighting. He went to that place and urged them to stop. He appealed to the young men and the old men, the young women and the not-so-young women, to fight no more. He said, we must not be a warring people. From then on, if there was conflict between the men, that conflict could only be settled at harshest by using what was known as a tupurari, a long stick no thicker than a man's thumb. They could use that as a weapon. 
at the first sight of blood, the conflict ended. He who drew the blood was declared the victor, and they went right on. That was as bad as it got in an era of war and intertribal conflict. These people would not fight. They were committed to Nunuku's law. But in 1835, everything changed for the peaceful Moriori of Rekohu, Chatham Island. 900 Māori from the Ngati Tama and Ngati Mutunga tribes arrived aboard a British sailing ship. They came from the mainland 500 miles away. They arrived seasick, tired. They arrived hungry, worn out. And so the kind-hearted locals fed them and nursed them and invited them to stay and share their provisions if they would like. But their courtesy was not to be kindly repaid. These were not visitors. They were invaders. The peaceful Moriori had a decision to make. What would they do? To not fight back would be to sign their own death warrant. They would be killed or they would be enslaved and the practice of the invaders was to cannibalize their victims. This was a crisis and there was no way it could end well. The young men urged that they fight 2,000 locals against 900 invaders. This could be done. But the older men looked at it from a different perspective. They advised the people should stay true to who they were. These were a people who at their core, you might say, in their DNA, were committed to nonviolence. They decided they would not fight back because of who they were. It's one thing to jeopardize your existence to save the life of another person to advance your people, to achieve independence, to, to throw off tyranny. But were the Moriori really prepared to die for an ideal? But wait, this was more than an ideal. Nonviolence was bound up with their identity, inextricably bound up. They had to be true to their core values, true to their principles, true to who they were. Why? Because they were committed, so much so, that within about two decades, that entire people group had been wiped out. They were massacred. The question that guided them was, quite simply, who are we? What do we stand for as a people? To answer that question would lead them to both greatness and oblivion. And hindsight suggests that the two cannot be separated. That question, who are we? What are we made of? What do we stand for as a people? Answer that question and it will define you. Answer that question and you have found your sinusure. You have found your Polaris. The theme of this year's gathering at ASI speaks to that question. Who are we? What are we made of? What do we stand for as a people? Called, chosen, committed, 
We have been called. The Bible tells us that. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. Every person alive has been called by God. Jesus died for whosoever. Paul told Timothy, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. There is no denying that you have been called, called by God. When you are not so sure of your place in this world, not sure of your worth in the big picture, not sure the direction of your life, where it should go, where it might lead you. Remember, you have been called by God. God has a plan for you. God has a work for you. God has a purpose for you. You have been called. Would you say amen today? We have been chosen. According to Peter, we are a chosen generation. Jesus said in John 15, I have chosen you. So that is settled. Not chosen to represent your country at the Olympics. Not chosen for elected office. Chosen, handpicked by God to be His and everything that entails. It is no accident that you are here today. God wants you to be confident that He has chosen you. There's nothing more certain. Called you. Selected you. Called. For sure. Chosen. Undoubtedly. Committed. Now there's a question. Are we committed? We could answer that by saying, of course we are. We are all committed to something. There's no doubt. But to what are we committed? God calls us to commitment. Jesus told one man that the greatest commandment was to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Cultural Christianity is not Christianity at all. It is too late in the history of this world for God's people to be playing games. There are myriad places in the Bible where we could see commitment demonstrated, but I would like to lead you down a road less traveled today. Please turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 35. We will uh, gallop through a short passage in Jeremiah chapter 35. We'll start in verse 1. Turn there. Jeremiah 35 verse 1. The Bible says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, listen, go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Now this was God speaking through his prophet. Bring them into a room in the temple and have them drink wine. So Jeremiah says later in the passage, I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. Now it's true, he did not say, God commands you to drink wine. But still, this was the prophet, and they knew that that was so. Now let me just take a time out here and speak to something. We know full well that there are voices, loud voices, some of them, and not all on the periphery, who love to denigrate the prophetic message given by God to His people. Friend of God, we are closing in on the return of Christ. 
we cannot afford to be soft on the gift of prophecy. What do you say? We cannot. This is no time to be undermining, even passively, something that was only God's idea anyway. Cabling and cynicism about what we believe should be entertained like you would entertain cancer. The truth is too precious for us to surrender it now. Amen. And so the Rechabites answer. They said, we will drink no wine, no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine nor your sons forever. They went on to say, thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine in all of our days. Jeremiah, we hear you. We understand you. We get you. But we are not going to do what you say. We might seem contrary. We might come off as uncooperative. But what we want you to know, Jeremiah, is that we are committed. And committed they were. Jeremiah spoke up again and he said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my words? If you read on, you find out that God had a problem. Here was his people. He had labored with them. He had pleaded with them. He had chastised them. He had turned them. He had demonstrated his long suffering to them again and again and again. And still, they couldn't find it within themselves to be faithful to the Creator God. And here come the Rechabites. Jeremiah says, I am the prophet of God. And I am telling you to drink wine. And they look him in the face and they say, we are just not going to do it. God wanted Israel to understand what commitment looked like. And I wonder if he wants us to know the same thing. They were dedicated. They were committed. Interestingly, they didn't show up in the Bible until that time. And they don't show up again explicitly after that time. That's the only place in the Bible you read about these folks. And they showed up on time to give us a demonstration of commitment. What is it we really stand for today as God's people? Well, we stand for the gospel, especially as it is expressed in the three angels in Revelation chapter 14. We stand for Christ and what he stands for. We are on this earth so that God's work can be done. We stand for reflecting Christ, for letting God have his way. They tried to trap Jesus in his words. He pointed them to God always. His life spoke of commitment, and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, God has given us a mandate, friend, a mandate. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We have a transformational message, one that offers to the world hope and wholeness. There is a world to win. All around us are people going down to Christless graves. And as they do so, listen carefully, the clock still ticks. We cannot go on inventing ways of distracting ourselves from the mission of God's church. If ever there was a time for a full court press, that time is now. 
we are not unaware of the challenges. And we understand that when the Bible spoke of the ten virgins, it said they were all asleep. We read the message to the church of Laodicea, and you cannot say, that applies to the faction of the church that I'm not a part of. It applies to you, me, the liberals on the left, the cranky conservatives way out on the right. We are all involved in this thing. But it's not possible to be committed to Christ and not be committed to the church He loves. It is not possible to be committed to Christ and not be committed to the souls for which He died. And hasn't God encouraged us again and again that it pays off to be about His business? How many were baptized in Rwanda recently? Tell me. The better part of 100,000. There's only one question to ask. When are we doing it again? How many were baptized the last time your church got involved in soul winning? What are you waiting for? How many lives were touched during the last outreach effort, either by a gospel tract or a hand on the shoulder, either by a smile or a kind deed? Lives were touched, and they are waiting to be touched again. Who knew evangelism was so truly effective? The work of God, evangelism in all of its forms. Can we not agree once and for all that we as God's people are committed to evangelism. We believe in evangelism. We'll stop whispering beside the water cooler about how evangelism doesn't work. We believe in this because God believes in this. And we'll not only believe in it, we'll be involved in sharing Christ with as many as we can. The critics may carp and bicker, but still we hear Nehemiah saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? There has never been a better time to be committed to the work of the church than now. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, the fields are white and they are ready to harvest. We stand on the verge of the greatest ingathering of souls this universe has ever witnessed. If you look at the glass half empty, you might say, what about those big cities where we barely have a presence? But if you have a look at the glass half full, you will say, wait, there is a great work just waiting to be done. And we have it on the authority of the Bible. God will get it done before Jesus comes back. The question is, will you be part of getting it done? God votes for you, not against you. Now you will remember from high school the periodic table of elements. And being the good uh, science student that you were, you remember that the first element in the table was what? Hydrogen. Hydrogen. All right, I found me a science student. <laughs> then? Helium. Then? Lithium. Hydrogen. Helium. Then what? Lithium. Lithium. Then? Then? Beryllium. Beryllium. No Google now. <laughs> Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, fluorine, neon, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, <laughs> Kyrgyzstan. If you look down to about number 50-something, 
you'll find something on that table called cesium. And cesium is a fascinating little beast for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because it has one atom on its valence shell, its outer shell. And that atom spends its time, it is, it is, it is vigilant. It spends its time looking for, uh, what would you call them, molecules? Molecules? Oh, I don't know. You know, I don't, tr I don't, I don't trust atoms anyway. They make up everything. Someone will explain it to you. <laughs> but it, it gets around this, 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 this cesium molecule with an extra atom on its valence shell. It looks for molecules, and I, I hope I'm using the, the, the right terminology, that lack their complete complement of electrons. And so if you put cesium near oxygen, and oxygen is looking for another electron, that extra cesium atom, or that one on the valence shell, will leap and, and boom! If you put it near iodine or bromine or fluorine, you're going to get the same reaction. Now, it's not that cesium is a troublemaker, but wherever it goes, excitement is going to follow because boom! You're going to have this reaction. Why? Again, it's not looking for trouble. Cesium just does what cesium does. It does what it does because it is what it is. That's all. When God calls you to be His, you'll be a lot like that cesium molecule. You will do what you do because you are what you are. God calls us to ministry. It must be our focus in whatever form God brings to you. We cannot let the devil draw us away from what God wants us to do. We've been commissioned. we got a mandate. Go, therefore. Go. Make disciples. Where? Of all nations. Do what? Baptize them. Teach them all things I have commanded you. When we become Christ's, we are looking for that opportunity. You don't see a lost person and turn and walk away. Something stirs in your heart. You cry out to God, Lord, can you use me here? And when God says, yes, I can, then you are used by God. You are familiar with the quote? It's the opening stanza of the book Acts of the Apostles. Listen, I believe these words, and I know you do too. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom He has called out of darkness into His marvelous light, those he has called are to show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. The final and full display of the love of God. We have been called. God calls us to commitment. What does it look like? It looks like the Moriori on Rekohu. Chatham Island, 500 miles from the South Island of New Zealand. It looks like a woman breaking an alabaster box of ointment. She gave Jesus the best she had. It looks like a, a widow putting two mites in the offering plate. She gave everything she had. It looks like that uh, little widow lady giving the last measure of oil she had to the prophet. It looks like Isaiah saying, here am I, send me. It sounds like Jacob saying, I will not let you go. 
except you bless me. It looks like Samson saying, Lord, give me strength just one more time. It looks like David running towards Goliath. It looks like people letting God work in them, that God's work is done and his mission is accomplished. Noah built an ark. Elijah built an altar. Moses built a sanctuary. Nehemiah built a wall. They were committed to God. And so they stood up, they stepped up, and they lit up their corner of the universe with a manifestation of God's character, a demonstration of what commitment to God looks like. We are called. We have been chosen. The question is, are we committed? We must be committed. A young missionary from New Zealand, his name was Len Barnard, went to Papua New Guinea. They said, Len, don't go down into those valleys. The cannibals will eat you. He went anyway. He carried his Bible in one hand, a bag of medicine in the other. The Spirit of God filled his heart. 50, 60 years later, you can go back to those same villages, beautiful villages, filled with God's people. Go to church on Sunday. It'll be empty, but up front will be the offering plate, still with the offering from yesterday. The church has no windows and no doors. No one's going to steal that because God has got into those hearts, changed those lives. These are people who are committed because one man's commitment drove him to jeopardize his own safety in his own life. A Scots Protestant ministry named John Patton determined to share Christ in what was then the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. A Mr. Dixon said, the cannibals, you will be eaten by the cannibals. Patton said, Mr. Dixon, you are now advanced in years. You will soon be laid in the grave and eaten by worms. If I can live and die serving and honoring Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. In the resurrection, my body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our Redeemer. We were filming for It Is Written recently in, in, in Scotland, and I stood at the place where, where the martyr George Wishart was hanged and burned by the, the scoundrel Archbishop uh, Cardinal Beaton. Here's what's interesting. 18 years before, Patrick Hamilton had been burned, 250 yards away. Wishart knew that. He knew that going back to Scotland and preaching Protestantism would have him reduced to a pile of ashes. What did he do? He went anyway. He could do no other. Christ had him. What drives a person to do that? Dr. Martin Luther King was standing on the platform at Mason Temple. He knew about the threats on his life. He knew that his plane, the one in which he flew to Memphis, had been guarded that night before. Otherwise, somebody might have taken occasion to kill him. And yet, yet he stood, and yet he spoke. He said, I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The next day, the unthinkable happened. Room 306 of the Lorraine Motel became part of the legend of this nation's history. What drives a person to make such a sacrifice? No, wait, wrong question. It's not a sacrifice. It's what you do when you believe with all of your heart. God says, go, you go. God says, share, you share. God says, be there. You say, Lord, I am there because I am committed to Christ. But wait, we are faulty people here. Flawed, we are flawed. Yes, you are. I'll tell you. 
inadequate, broken. How is it then that God can get his work done? And the minute actually, if you're listening carefully, you might be saying all of this call to commitment sounds like a call to righteousness by works. It is the opposite. A call to commitment can only be a call to righteousness by faith because understood correctly, commitment is not something we can give to God. Commitment is something Christ performs in us when Jesus has our heart. You know as well as I do from bitter experience that our promises are like ropes of sand. How can we be committed to this God? You are weak. God says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You are battling temptation and God says, I will make a way of escape. You are corrupt and God says, a new heart will I put within you. God will do what needs to be done. We read in the Bible, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. God had a plan. Jonah ran. God went after him. The prodigal son left home and the Spirit of God followed him to a pigsty. Three men were out there on the plain of Dura and because they prayed, the Holy Spirit locked their knee joints and they were unable and unwilling to bow down. Daniel, knowing that his life was on the line, prayed to God anyway. They threw him in the lion's den and God was there with him. Daniel understood, he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is no need for discouragement here. God takes responsibility for the work in you and in the church. How do we reach the 1040 window? How do you reach your patients or your clients? How can a small church minister effectively in its community? How do we share Jesus with the massive populations who barely have ever heard his name? Let me tell you something the Bible says. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. God is committed to his church. He stands at the head of the work. Somebody spoke to Jesus one day and said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing. Jesus says to the church today, I am willing. Jesus says to the church today, I want to. Jesus says to the church today, I will get it done. In your life, if you'll let me, and in the mission and in the ministry of the church. Friend, I believe in this church. I believe that weak and enfeebled though it is, it is still the one object upon this earth upon which Christ bestows in a special sense his supreme regard. This is no time for division. This is a time for unity. We may still disagree about this, that, or the other, but we must agree on that with on which we must agree. Christ is the head of this church, and there is nothing more important than reaching the lost, doing our Father's business, and occupying until He comes. And let me tell you something. If you think your little commitment might not make much difference, I want you to think back to my Moriori friends. They were massacred, wiped out, but somebody named Tefiti Orongomai learned of their commitment and led the village of Parihaka in nonviolent resistance against the white colonialists. Now, here's what you might find interesting. A man named Mohandas Gandhi knew about Tefiti Orongomai and his stand, his nonviolent resistance. Take that one at one step further. Dr. Martin Luther King was inspired by the example of Gandhi. 
Now, you will excuse me if you feel like I'm stretching a little bit, but I can stretch all I want because I have the microphone. And listen, <laughs> the Moriori are people you've never heard of. And yet it may well be that their example in standing for who they were and doing what they knew to be right profoundly influenced the civil rights movement in this country. To that I say, praise the Lord. The producers of Hacksaw Ridge, the Desmond Doss movie, they were asked, why did you not do it accurately? What? You have Desmond Doss dragging people to safety when he dragged the first two and carried the rest. They said, well, that's right, but if we, if we did it like that, no one would believe we were telling the truth. Desmond Doss dragged them, the first two carried the next 73. And every time he lowered one down that cliff, his prayer was, Lord, give me one more. Lord, give me one more. Lord, give me one more, 74 times. The government actually believes 99 times. Doss said 50, the government said 100, so they split the difference. That's why you hear the number 75. 74 times he prayed that prayer. Lord, give me one more. Friends, we are out here in the heat of battle. There are the wounded out on the battlefield. Our prayer has to be, Lord, give me one more. Lord, give us one more. Lord, raise us up to preach again, to prophesy again, to proclaim again, to witness again, to testify again. Lord, give me one more. Even though commitment to mission might be unfashionable, to back off is unthinkable. Distraction is unacceptable. Misplacing our priorities is unconscionable. To see more people lost would be unbearable. Arguments against mission are untenable. Ignoring the world's great need, unacceptable. Now you might be uncomfortable, led to places that are undesirable, immersed in cultures that are unpalatable, challenged by the unforeseeable, prodded by the unpredictable. But your experience with Christ will be unforgettable. God's leading will be unmistakable. We must be undividable, our faith unshakable, our resolve unbendable believing that not one of God's people is unusable. The church will be unrecognizable. God's people will be unstoppable because His Spirit is uncontainable. His power to do this work is unarguable. We will see God work in us, through us, around us, and we will say, unbelievable. Jesus is coming back soon. There's time to win one more. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations. The end will come. Why? Because God is committed. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we cannot tell you how much we love you. We want to love you more. And you must use us. We cannot go from here less effective than when we arrived at this convention. We cannot go from here less committed than when we, when we drove into town. We cannot be the same. Our, our, our Lord, it's time to raise up your people, your church. It's time. We want to see Jesus come soon. Here we are. Help us, Lord, to reach one more is our prayer. In Jesus' name, please say amen and amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.